0: It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for his return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. What is a common thing amongst evildoers in the last days? In today's teaching, Pastor J.D. will highlight the sin of idolatry and challenge listeners to consider if God is on the throne of their life. As our culture continues to walk further away from the Lord, you must be vigilant to not let the things of this world replace God. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update at jdfarag.org. Now, here's Pastor JD with today's Prophecy Update as shared on November 5th, 2023.
1: But I want to talk with you about today is the pronounced presence of idolatry within Christianity in these last days. I am keenly aware that I run the risk of an oversimplification when I try to define it, but I'm going to just very simply define idolatry this way. Idolatry is anything or anyone that has taken the place of Jesus in the life of a Christian. Again, just a simple definition, anything or anyone that has replaced Jesus from his rightful place at the center of my life. That is idolatry. Now, two thoughts before we jump in. The first of which is that Idolatry, by its very definition, usually brings to mind the usual suspects, if I can call them that. And you know what I'm talking about, the usual suspects. (laughs) And while the usual suspects of idolatry are certainly prevalent in last days Christianity, it's the unusual suspects that have seemingly, in their subtlety, crept in unaware. And that's what I want to talk about today. The second thought on this is really the impetus for this, which was sort of confirmed by way of our recent verse-by-verse study through 1 John, which we completed. And actually, it was the last verse in the last chapter of 1 John, which ended as bluntly as it did curiously leaving the reader to ponder, of which I am chief. Because, like I mentioned, we finished First John a couple, three weeks ago. I'm still stuck on this last verse in 1 John. I know I'm teaching 2 John, but I still can't shake this last verse in 1 John, especially because What we know about John is that he's affectionately referred to as the apostle of love, and he was inspired to end this letter in this peculiar way. So, can I read the verse? This is the last verse of the last chapter of 1 John, verse 21. You ready for it? Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Bye. Okay, bye isn't in the original, but I think you get the point. Wait, what? It's kind of like you, you, you're like, wait, where's the, where's the rest of it? No, that, that's the last thing he says. And this is John we're talking about? Keep yourselves from idols. Bye. What in the world? I mean, it begs the question of why would John, of all people, end on such a staccato note, for lack of a better way of saying it, and not at least offer some farewell closing like, give my greetings to, or I love you, can't wait to see you. No, just keep away from idols. Why? Answer. Well, the answer to this question is actually the premise for this update, such that it packs a much-needed punch, and in so doing, doesn't pull any punches. Think about it this way. Let's just say that John were to have added a nice, cozy, comfy, ending, the warm fuzzy, after saying, keep yourself, keep away from idols. Would that not have maybe softened it up, or even watered it down, and lessened the effect of an ending such as that? I know I'll speak for myself, it would have for me, I'll confess, if there were more after that, I would not pay as much attention to that because I would read past that. But when you end on that note, as it were, there's a reason for it. Now, now I gotta do something with it. Now I gotta I gotta process it. I need to seek. To understand it. Because there's obviously a reason why John would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to end on such an abrupt note. And I'm hoping you'll kindly allow me to expound on this. I want to draw your attention to a very familiar last days prophecy that's going to be germane to our understanding of One of the reasons why John would emphasize this and end with something like this, it's 2nd Timothy chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1, a prophecy I know familiar to most. So Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to tell him what the last days are going to look like, how the last days will be marked what will characterize the last days. He writes, verse 1, but mark this. These are the markers. There will be terrible times in the last days. Some of your translations render it perilous times. And then from verse 2 on through to verse 5, he now lists 19 markers, perilous markers if you prefer. That will characterize the last days and in so doing assist us in identifying the last days vis a vis these markers and characteristics. So here's the list of 19 beginning in verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, these are the usual suspects, boastful, proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents, kids. I'm going to read that one again. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. How about that one? Stand alone. I could do an entire sermon on just that one. I won't. I could, but I won't. Ungrateful. Unholy without love, verse 3, natural affection, parental love for a child, and vice versa. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, and I want you to pay particular attention to these two words, rather than, hang on to those two words, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. It's pretty strong. I'm starting out this way because these two specific words, rather than, are always at the core of idolatry. Let me explain. That which I've made an idol, when given over to idolatry, will always have these two words right at the center. And I'll pose them in the form of three questions that, again, I would like to expound on as it relates to the idolatry we devote ourselves to rather than Jesus. Question number one, do I love Israel? rather than loving the God of Israel, or is my love for Israel because of my love for the God of Israel? Is it rather than or because of? Now, there's actually two more parts of this first question that I think I'd be grossly remiss were I not to also ask, and the first one is this, because you hear this a lot. I stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. Okay. Question. Am I standing with Israel rather than bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Israel, Or is my stand with Israel because of my bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Israel? Here's the second part. Am I standing with the Jewish people of Israel rather than both Jews and Arabs in Israel? or is it because of my heart to bring Jesus to the Jewish and Arab people, and the Jewish and Arab people to Jesus? I realize that was quite a a lot right out of the chute. Maybe this is as good of a time as any just to humbly ask that you hear my heart, because I think We do err greatly. And it is incumbent upon us to be very prayerful and careful when we're so quick to embrace and adopt these talking points of the world because it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. That was just question one. we got two more. (laughs) Question number two. Am I devoted to saving America rather than saving souls in America because of my love for the God who blessed America, rather than or because of? And number three, is my trust in science, rather than the God of science, because of my God, who is the one and true God of true science. I'm allowing this to happen so that you will know that I am the Great I Am. John thirteen twenty nine or fourteen. It's one of those chapters and verses. Jesus says this. This is a paraphrase. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens, so that when it begins to happen, you will believe that I am. Period. In other words, that's the purpose of prophecy. Think about it. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in advance before it happens, so that when it happens, you're going to go, Wow, he said that was going to happen before it happened, and now it's happening. I believe he is the I am. Right now, Ezekiel 38 is hot right? And rightfully so. For the benefit of those who don't know, it is a very detailed prophecy. When I say very detailed, I mean very detailed, about an alliance of nations that advances from the north and invades Israel to take a spoil from Israel. And God deals them a decisive defeat some believe within a period of maybe less than 24 hours. That's pretty decisive. And I mean, you think about the list of nations by their ancient name in this very well known prophecy of Ezekiel 38, and you start connecting the dots with the modern day nations that many Bible teachers believe they represent all of whom, by the way, are in play today, at the ready, just a matter of time, exactly as God said it would some 2,500 plus years prior. God told us that this would happen way before it would happen, and now it's beginning to happen exactly as God said it would. And there comes the purpose. It's not only that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this in such a way that you will know it was me who did it. Because there's no other explanation. How can you logically explain, statistically, the, the odds of probability of a nation as tiny as Israel. By the way, parenthetically, let me say, it's not just because I'm an Arab that I always talk about Arabs and Jews, though I'm sure I could be rightfully accused of that, but 20% of the population of Israel today are Arab people, my people. So they all will know that I am God. And that was the purpose for this prophecy. Because that's the heart of God. God wants us to know Him and Him alone. Who is like unto you, O God? There is none like you, O God. You are the one and only true living God. Because only you could do that. So, the last verse again. Boy, there's something about the last verse. I'm on a roll with last verses today in the chapters. So, I'm going to read you the last verse of Ezekiel 38, verse 23. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and here it is, then they shall know that I am the Lord. If you don't mind, can I just, before we go any further, can I just ask you to use your God-given imagination of the enormity and the complexity and the intensity of a prophecy such as this. I mean, here comes this invading army, this alliance of nations, massive, and they invade little tiny Israel, and America's not going to be there to save them. Oh, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, they're going to just you know, they're going to protest because they've got uh, skin in the game, as we say. They got a dog in this hunt. You can use whatever metaphor you want because of the oil. So they're going to protest this invasion, but they're not going to come to Israel's defense. And that's by God's design. Why? Because God is going to come to Israel's defense and God alone. So that when it's all said and done, there's no question mark here. This was God. Pastor, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. When it's all said and done, the nations of the earth will know it's the Lord and the Lord alone. And sadly, there's coming a day in that day it will be too late but every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But at that time, it will not be a confession unto salvation, rather, it will be a confession unto damnation. Thankfully, the good news that we're going to talk about this at the conclusion. There's still time before that time, though the time is very short. Now is the time, today is the day to confess Jesus Christ is Lord, because now it's for salvation, then it will be for damnation. This brings me to the third form of idolatry in the last days, and it's that of trusting the science, rather than the God of science. But as for the idolatry of trusting science rather than the God of science, let me very simply say that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit the holy spirit resides in our bodies listen to 1 corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 do you not know that you are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwells in you if anyone defiles the temple of god listen very carefully god will destroy him for the temple of god is holy which temple you are. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that key word contaminates body and spirit. Interesting connection. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Please hear me out. It's for this and other reasons, such as the use of aborted babies and animals, by the way, which were to have dominion over but not abuse that are used in the testing and development of many vaccines, plus the fact that there are contaminants, toxins, and poisons present for which we are rejecting the injecting of these shots into our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Some of what you've heard today may have encouraged you in your faith, and at times it may have brought up more questions that you would like answered. If you're wanting to get in touch with us, go to jdfarag.org and find the contact link at the bottom of the page. That's jdfarag.org. There, you can let us know some of the questions you might have, and we'll get back to you and try to answer those questions as best we can. While you're on our website, feel free to check out additional teachings from Pastor J.D., If what Pastor Diddy shared today has you really confused about what it means to know Jesus and life beyond this life, there's a resource for you that might be helpful. At jdfarag.org, find the ABCs tab. This will walk you through what it means to have a saving knowledge of Jesus and what that means for you going forward. Once again, our website is jdfarag.org.